you know, I was working on another message and I thought, you know what, we need to get back into a revelation, back to a revelation series. But there's so many crazy things going on in the world that we've, we've kind of been all over the map as far as, you know, different teachings and so forth. And looking at COVID and looking at the sin of racism and also looking at making sure we're not co-opted by far left movements and follow a narrative that could lead us away from the Lord, actually. Uh, so we've looked at a lot of different things. But we've looked at messages on trials, things of that nature, a lot of different messages. Uh, but... I changed my message that I was working on, which I'm still, I've got a few messages that are just ready to go. I'm praying about which to deliver when. But I want to talk, get back to the book of Revelation a little bit and the end times. And we are, if you could take your Bibles, in Revelation chapter 20. And I didn't want to specifically hone in on a verse. I kind of stopped a little, you know, stopped when we started going outside. I was planning to go into Revelation 20 again sooner, finishing that chapter up. But there were a lot of scriptures I wanted to put on slides because there were some Greek words that I thought were very important to understand, to understand a, a specific text and how it should be rendered uh, in Revelation. And when I we came out here, I was like, man, I can't do that out here, you know? I could do it for our live stream audience, so depending on how much longer we stay out here. And by the way, how many of us are loving being out here? How many of you love it, amen? I was just back there with Pastor Steve, and he was like, man, wish we could just stay out here, you know? I'm like, yeah, it's so awesome. But when the rain and the sleet and the snow come, well, we don't have sleet and snow, but we have rain. When they come, uh, it'll be a bit harder, so. But we're going to pray about it, you know, and see exactly what uh, we can do, and uh, we're going to be meeting together one way or another somehow as brothers and sisters in Christ, you know. Uh, so I want to encourage you guys to understand the times. It says the sons of Issachar uh, knew what to do because they understood the times. The Bible talks about the Hamaskalim, those who have insight in the last days in Revelation chapter 11, and they, uh, they, they do mighty exploits because they understand the times. And it says none of the wicked will understand. And God wants us to understand the times that we're living in. And he wants us to understand because there's going to be a lot of spiritual deception. I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of spiritual deception right now going on among many of the popular names that are out there that represent Christ and Christianity. In fact, a lot of the deception has to do with steering people away from biblical prophecy, you see. And it's important that we understand what the Lord says because guess what? The religious leaders seem quite zealous. And Paul said they have a lot of zeal, but not according to knowledge. And the religious leaders missed Christ's first coming. Serious, serious consequences to missing Christ's first coming, amen? And rejecting him. Well, Jesus said it would be like that again at his second coming. There'd be many professing faith, but they wouldn't see the signs of the times. And many would be deceived into movements that would be contrary to his will. So it's, understand, it's important to understand the biblical outline. And that's why in the book of Revelation, you have this really strong warning. Go to Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. So you say, oh, I'm, I have access to the tree of life now, man. My name's in the book of life. I have, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm a, reg, a, a citizen of the holy city. And you think that? And you, you start trifling with the word of God. You start taking out passages from the book of Revelation or adding to them. I mean, look at the plagues of this book. When would they be fulfilled? I think that would be when you're separated from God in the lake of fire. 
those things would take place. Or if you were doing this during the tribulation period, uh, you'd be an object of God's wrath because you certainly wouldn't be trusting Jesus, amen, and under his grace if you're doing those kinds of things. So it's important to understand that this book, the last book of the Bible, near the very end, one of the last verses of the last book of the Bible, gives us warning not to add or take away from the book. And specifically, it's talking about the book of this prophecy, the book of Revelation. Although obviously there's application, and it's not an accident that's at the very end of the Bible, because you have Deuteronomy and you have Proverbs that also talk about not adding to God's words. So we're not to add or take away to any of God's words. Right now, you have a lot of people that are calling themselves apostles that claim that their words are on par with Scripture, that they're re re getting new revelations from the Lord, and people are supposed to follow those revelations. And it's very popular today. There's a lot of people going astray right now because they've subjected themselves to these apostles and these false apostles. Paul says, I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety that your minds would be deceived from your simple devotion to Christ and that you might accept a different gospel, believe in a different Jesus, receive a different spirit. He goes on to say a little bit later in that same passage, for Satan himself transformed himself into angel of light. Therefore, it is no marvel that his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. That's why Paul said not to go beyond what is written. We need to stick to the scripture, amen? We, know what, we need to know what the word of God says or we will be led astray. You say, but yeah, look at all these things these guys are doing. They're claiming to do all these miracles. They're stretching legs. You know what book it is where it talks about God using the apostles to stretch legs? Me either. It's not in there, okay? But that's like their main miracle because it's the easiest one to fake, by the way. And I'm not saying there's not going to be any real things that go on, but to be part of this movement, I've said it before, you are not considered a true prophet unless you make a bunch of false prophecies, at least some. Is that the biblical criteria? No, no it's because they make false prophecies and they want to be accepted as prophets. I mean, they've been saying this for years, basically. That, uh, it, it, but remember what Jesus said. Many will come to him on judgment day, right? On that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many wonderful miracles in your name? We cast out demons and all these things. And what would Jesus say to them? I never what? I never knew you. Amen. And that's serious stuff. He says, you did not do what? The will of the Father. You workers of lawlessness. They reject his moral law. They reject his word, his truth as to what it says about prophecy, for instance. What it says about living for him and submitting to his words. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen. We need to treasure his word in our hearts so we are not deceived. Amen. Now, in Revelation chapter 20, we ended, and we're really at the end of a verse, really at a radical verse, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. And, but instead of honing on that verse, and I'm just going to have to do it without slides when I get back to that verse, Lord, show me when. Uh, and just we'll put it up for the uh, people in live stream. And then you can check out the, you know, I'll, I'll explain the Greek to you, but it's just, when it's visual, it's very easy in regard to the verses I want to show. It's just a few words, but uh, right now I want to get into, and I think it's very important that you understand this, understanding God's roadmap. We need to understand what he says is coming next. Because if you're convinced that there's no tribulation period, right? And you're convinced that the kingdom is right now and that Christ is going to begin reigning as, and the church is supposed to take over the earth 
and everything's gonna everybody's gonna accept God's rule. And you begin worshiping, and then you begin worshiping God here, and He's ruling from the temple, and you're like, Yeah, who are you worshiping? You're worshiping the Antichrist because you've been totally bamboozled. And Jesus, when the disciples asked him, what are the signs of the times? The very first thing he warned about was spiritual deception, right? False Christ and false, many false Christ and false prophets will rise and deceive many. This is serious stuff. And he continued to go back more than any other subject to spiritual deception. Yet people that are concerned about prophecy today, personal prophecies for people, often can care less what the Lord says. They just want to hear what personal word they get for their own personal gratification or their own personal ministry or what they can get out of it. And they, they ignore the Lord. And one reason you have a lot of false prophets is you have a lot of itching ears because there is a clientele, you know. They bank off these people that just want to have their ears tickled. And I'm telling you right now, it's, everything's getting backwards right now. People are expecting, they're not expecting the tribulation or the Antichrist. Many are being taught that they're going to rule and reign right now. They're going to pull the levers of government, you know. Now, it's interesting to me that when you look at the Scripture, the Scripture is very, very clear when you go through it. Let's take, for instance, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation depicts believers going through trouble, going through tribulations, things getting hard. And at the end of the tribulation, you can read Revelation chapter 19. Right before Jesus comes back at His second coming, we read... In verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad. Now this is after the, most of the seals, after the trumpets, most of the trumpets, all the trumpets but the last trumpet, all the bowls but the last bowl. In fact, let me tell you something right here. If you look at the sixth seal, seventh trumpet and seventh bowl, they all describe the very end, okay? Just, I encourage you, do a little study. Six seals, seven trumpets, seven bull. You'll see they all describe the same, same end. I don't have time to get into that, but the very first commentary ever written on the New Testament was written by Victorinus, a third century church father. Verse by verse, through, we didn't go through every verse. We went through a lot of verses. And I'm not saying it's the best commentary of Revelation, but he talks about a recapitulation and how the bowls uh, overlap, you know? They're not, they're not written consecutively. But whatever you believe about that, ultimately you need to understand this that prior to Christ's coming in Revelation chapter 19, the bride has been made ready. Look at verse 7. Then rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage lamb of the Lamb has what? Has come and his bride has made herself ready. Okay? Now God makes us ready by this precious blood of Christ. Amen? But we prepare for his coming. Amen? The, he that has his hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Amen? We, we look toward Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in our sanctification. We become more like him. And we long for him. Amen? And he's coming back, it says, for a bride that's without spot and without wrinkle. Amen? He takes the spots out by his precious blood. Amen? But you know how, but you know how, he, gets, you know how he gets your wrinkles of your character out? With a hot iron. With a hot iron. Amen? Anybody iron here? get the wrinkles out. He, he, so he transforms us. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. If we die today, we're with him because that's our salvation is by his, purely by his grace. Amen. But he transforms us through the hot trials we go through. And by the end of the tribulation period, the, the ra most radical trial ever, his bride has made herself, she's made herself ready. Okay. She's been purified by the blood, but she's also been purified through trials. And we read, it was given to her to clothe herself, verse 8, in fine linen, bright and clean, and the fine linen is what? The righteous acts of the saints. Now, I emphasize more than anything that we're, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Through faith. Amen? amen? 
And I think that's where the emphasis needs to be. But sometimes the Bible also emphasizes, like right here, that it's, it's, it's a joy to the Lord to see your character change and to see you grow and become like Jesus. Amen? And that's, that's his ultimate end is not only for us to be cleansed, but us to be transformed in the likeness of his son and be made this precious bride. And verse 9, Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. What happens next? After the bride is finally made ready, after going through tribulation, what happens in verse 11? And then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and a righteousness he judges and wages war. Amen? Christ comes back. Amen? And what happens when Jesus Christ comes back? We're caught up to meet him where? In the air. Amen? We're transformed. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up to meet them in the air. Amen? And that's at the last trump, at the trump of God, at the voice of the archangel. So we're looking forward to that. So when Christ comes, guess what's going to happen? The dead in Christ will rise first. Is that not true? The dead in Christ. So what's happened to all the believers in the last thousands of years? When he comes, they've risen. They come first with him. Amen. In fact, he comes with the armies of heaven. Not only those who've been risen from the dead, the dead in Christ will rise first, but also with the angels. Because it says he'll come with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on them that know not God and those that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have this huge army coming back. Amen. Amen. And guess what? We'll be caught up to meet them in the air. Amen. And it's interesting that term to go out to meet someone is used consistently. It's only used a few times in the New Testament. It's to get somebody who's coming toward you. And going out to meet them. It's kind of interesting. We'll have time to explore that right now. I've done that before. But his eyes are a flame of fire. And it's verse 12. And on his head are many diadems, many crowns. Uh, diadems, not Stephanos. These are kingly crowns, royal crowns. And, he, and his, name, his, name, his name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Wow. And you know, why is his robe dipped in blood? We don't have time to get into that, but if you go to a passage Isaiah, it talks about, he's asked, why are your robes dipped in blood? He goes, this is from the war that I've warred and, and the victory that I've accomplished myself. And it goes on to say, verse 14, and the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the wine press of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Wow. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the midheaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God. This is going to be at, he's going to land on the, on a, this is the battle of Armageddon. We read about that in Revelation 16, 14 through 16. He's going to land his feet on the Mount of Olives, right? He'll go through the Valley of Megiddo. He'll go through the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Uh, he'll land on Megiddo. And and the birds are told to come assemble for the great supper of God. Did you know there's, uh, I want to just deviate over and over again here and oh, off my message, but there's all kinds of birds of prey now in, the air, in these regions that weren't there before Israel became a nation in 1948. Very fascinating. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. Look at verse 19. And I saw the who taken. The beast taken. The beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make uh, war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So he sees the beast and the kings of the earth assembled to make war against the Lord. 
And we're seeing a moment that he's going to be taken and thrown in the lake of fire along with the false prophet. But guess what, folks? When the beast are, is there, this is the Antichrist that will be reigning for the last 42 months of history before Christ returns. Remember Daniel's 70th week? In the middle of the week, right? The Antichrist will put a stop to the grain offerings and so forth. He'll set himself up as God in the temple of God. Jesus said uh, to, you know, remember what Daniel the prophet said about the abomination of desolation. But that rule will only be 42 months, man. That's important to keep in mind. It's not like 400 plus years that the Israelis had to endure in Egypt, right? It's 42 months, the quick time relative to uh, the time we've been around. I'm talking about human history. Now, it's important to understand this, that up to this point, the beast has been reigning. In fact, in Revelation chapter 16, uh, just before it shows the last bowl, which is a picture of the end like this, it talks about how the beast in his kingdom is darkened and they blaspheme God because of the grievous sores they have on their hands because of the mark of the beast that they took and so forth. And they're angry. They're, but guess what? At this point, now they're assembling together. And it says in Revelation chapter 17, verses 11 through 14, that 10 nations will give their power to the beast and they will make war with the Lamb, Christ. And with him are the chosen, the called, the what? Those who are chosen, those who are called, and they are what? And remember, they're faithful. They're faithful. They remain true to the Lord. And he comes back for them, amen? So, uh, this, so now we see these armies gathered right here. And then, and this is important to get, important to understand. Look at verse uh, 20. And the beast was what? Was seized. Okay, taken, seized. And with him who? The false prophet who performed so the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. I find that fascinating. Why? Because every time someone dies right now, are you thrown alive in the lake of fire? No. You go to Hades, okay? And right now, when people reject the Lord, they are separated from God. They've chosen to be separated from God, and they're separated from God in a place called Hades. It's a contemporary, it's a temporary holding facility. But eventually, Hades will give up its dead, Okay? And they'll be sentenced to the great white throne judgment. So we need to understand, and go to the lake of fire. So we need to understand the sequence of events. So if somebody asked you, hey, when does Christ reign for a thousand years? Or when are people thrown in the lake of fire? Or what do people go right now when they die? Or, you know, uh, when does Christ come back? Or when does the kingdom come where the saints rule with Christ? Are you able to answer those questions? We should all be able to answer those questions. It's, it's, it's in black and white right before us. Okay. So I'm going to slow down a little bit at this point so we can understand the biblical outline of when these things take place. So we see there will be tribulation, amen? When before Christ comes back, who's reigning on the earth? The beast and who's he working with? The false prophet, amen? Okay, does anybody remember what the false prophet looks like? He speaks like a dragon. He speaks Satan's words, but he looks like a what? Anybody remember? Looks like a lamb. Why do you suppose the false prophet looks like a lamb? Because he claims to represent, who's the lamb? Over and over again, in, in Revelation, more than all the books of the Bible put together, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. He claims to represent some form or innocence and perhaps even Christianity. In fact, the Antichrist will sit where proclaiming himself to be God. 
He'll sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. This is going to be a mass deception of false religion. It says that every nation, people, and tongue will worship the beast. We're just not talking about a one-world economic system. You understand? We are talking about a one-world monetary system where everybody's caused to take the mark of the beast on the right hand or forehead to buy or sell, no doubt. We're talking about a one-world geopolitical system where the nations that are ruling the world have united under the beast. But we're also talking about a one-world religion, okay? And the beast is worshipped. It's important to understand this. So it's a counterfeit kingdom. In fact, it says, Jesus said in John chapter 16, that when we're, us Christians are being put to death, those who are put to death will say they're doing God's service. They're thinking they're serving God. Well, the Antichrist will claim to be God, you know. The man God. And right now in the New Age movement and in the occult, the cornerstone of occult teaching, one of the cornerstones, I should say, one of the main pillars is that man is God. Go back to Eden. Go back before Eden. Satan said he wanted to be like the most high God. Eve, you could be his God. Antichrist said the temple God showed himself that he is God. It's a big lie. This whole idea that we can become gods, that's Satan's life in the beginning. But it's important to understand here. You have this tribulation period. You have this mass deception in the end times. And then what you have as well is at the end of this 42 months, and it calls it a time, times a half a time. It calls it 42 months. calls it 1260 days in Revelation. Makes it real clear it's a 42 month period of time. And we know it's a literal time because the other weeks of Daniel, the 69 sevens that came before from the decree to rebuild the temple up in the time of Messiah, Christ being cut off, were literally fulfilled. Now, there's tribulation period. What happens at the end of the tribulation? The bride is made ready and who comes back? Jesus Christ comes back. Now when Jesus Christ, amen sister, when Jesus Christ comes back, what happens to the beast and the false prophet? They're thrown alive in the lake of fire. Their armies are destroyed. Then what happens? Christ sets up his thousand year reign on earth. Go ahead and look at Revelation chapter 20. The very next verse. Remember, remember there's no chapter breaks. We're looking at the outline the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. We're warned not to add or take away to this book. We, not, we dare not trifle with the, the outline that Jesus gave us. And by the way, Jesus was pretty succinct in the outline he gave us. In Revelation chapter Man, what is that? Chapter 2 at the end. Revelation chapter 1 at the end, verse 19 20. You know, he talks about, write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Write things which you've seen. The vision of, John, of Jesus. John saw that. Whoa, he writes about it. You know? The things which are that are presently going on in the, in, uh, in the 90s, in the state of the churches that were going on at that time, and the things that will happen hereafter. What's going to be in the future? So this is about the future. Okay, so when you read Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, this is right after, keep in mind, verse back up to 1911, he saw a heaven open, and behold, the white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and a righteousness he judges and wages war. That's the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, right? Verse 20, the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence. They're thrown alive lake of fire. Okay, then verse 20, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key to the, of the abyss, and a great chain was in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So Satan isn't even thrown in the lake of fire yet. The beast and the false prophet were thrown in early. You know why? 
God doesn't need to give them a trial. You know why God doesn't need to give them a trial? Because everything they did was so public for everybody to see how wicked they were. Boom, right there you go, and everybody knows you deserve it. But the, Satan is not, Satan doesn't really need a trial either. The spiritual realm has seen what he's doing, right? People on earth will have seen it, but God's going to allow him to deceive at the end of the thousand years those who are left who reject the Lord. But look what happens here. He's thrown into, I'm sorry, he's bound for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So when Jesus comes back, he defeats the beast and the false prophet. He has the angel, or, uh, Satan bound for a thousand years. Then verse four, then I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped. So he sees a few different groups. Okay? And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast and his image and had not received the mark of their, on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to what? They came to life and reigned with Christ for what? Reigned with Christ how long? A thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. That's the wicked dead. This is the what? First resurrection. Okay. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Blessed and holy, right? You want to be part of the first resurrection. What does that mean? That means when Jesus Christ comes back for his bride at the end of the tribulation, you want to be caught up to meet him in the air. Amen? Or if you've died first, you're going to be with the Lord, asking for the body of the Lord, then the dead in Christ will rise first. You got there first. You got to heaven first. You lived, you know, you're going first, man. Then we who are alive and remain, we're caught up to meet him in the air. You want to be part of the first resurrection. Why? Because you will reign with Christ for a thousand years when he comes back. And because you will not partake of the second death. Amen. You've held to the faith. You'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. So now, let's, let's review quickly. We have Jesus warning about things getting worse. Then we have the tribulation period with the Antichrist reigning. The false prophet doing miracles. People saying, wow, look at this. Give me that mark. I want in. All oh, those Christians, let's have them killed. And then you have all this going on, and then you have God pouring out seals and trumpets and bowl judgments and, until the bride has been made ready because the bride continues to proclaim the gospel. Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom we preach in all the world, all the nations, then the end will come. And then guess what? He comes back, Revelation chapter uh, 19. And when he comes back, what does he do with the beast and the false prophet? He throws them where? Alive in the lake of fire. What does he do with Satan? He binds them for how long? A thousand years. And what happens to the believers, the souls of the believers? When you die, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, you're not raised from the dead yet. In fact, in Revelation chapter 6, you have the souls under the altar. It says souls under the altar crying out, how long will God to avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, guess what? When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, he comes to avenge your blood. But guess what? They also get, they get resurrected, amen? They're given white robes and told to wait a little while because they're not fully clothed yet with their resurrected bodies. But when he comes back, the dead in Christ rise first and we, we're caught to meet them in the air. We're transformed. We have these remarkable, immortal, eternal, uh, imperishable, incorruptible bodies. And we'll reign with him for how long? 
A thousand years. That thousand years is commonly known as the what? The millennium. Did we just read that? Yeah. Did you see the tribulation before Christ comes back? Yes or no? Yes. When Christ came back, did that happen before or after the thousand years? Before or after? Before. Amen? And by the way, it mentions the thousand years six different times. So is, I'm not talking about the time of the rapture, I'm talking about the timing of the millennium. Does Christ come before the millennium or after the thousand years? He comes before, very clearly, Revelation 19 and 20. Sometimes I wish there was not chapter breaks. You just read, there it is. But I'm so thankful for chapter breaks, by the way. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, let's go here. Where's that at? About 714 words to your right. Oh, that'd be kind of difficult, you know. But it's interesting because right now, if you're the, if you're the devil, you're Satan. How do you deceive people into thinking to receiving the Antichrist as Messiah? Because Jesus said to his own people, I've come in my Father's name, the Jews. I've come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. But if another one comes in his own name, him you're going to receive. Wow. And they'll be thinking they're doing God's service by putting Christians to death during the tribulation period I mentioned. How do you get them to accept the Antichrist as Christ? You teach them that Christ is coming before, or that Christ is coming before Antichrist. That is, or his kingdom is coming before the Antichrist. Or the Antichrist isn't even coming. The next one to come is Christ and he's going to take over the world. Do you know the Nazis tried to use a counterfeit kingdom and they called the Nazi regime, Hitler and the Nazi followers, the officers and stuff, they called it the thousand year reign. Thousand year Reich, they called it. There's a lot of false counterfeit kingdoms. Well, guess what? Prior to World War II and World War I, there was a shift in eschatology. A lot of people wanted a more optimistic eschatology. And they started saying, well, actually, there won't be a tribulation period. There won't be an antichrist. Or that's just figurative language. And they add and added and took away from the book of Revelation the order that God gave. And they said, what's next on the horizon is the church setting up the thousand-year reign of Christ. The millennium comes before Christ. And Christ doesn't come until after the millennium. Is that what the Bible teaches? Christ comes before the millennium. This theology, which is a Johnny-come-lately theology, is called post-millennialism, meaning Christ's coming is post or after the millennium. We, as Bible-believing Christians that take the word for what it says very clearly, are pre-millennial. We believe that Christ comes, like it says in Revelation chapter 19, before the thousand-year reign in Revelation 20. Post-millennialism is incredibly dangerous because it greases the skids for the Antichrist. It's a recipe, part of the, what I call the recipe for apostasy. I believe there's a lot of admixture the devil's brew to get people to fall away, but I believe that's a big one, man. Because you have a lot of people that are post-mill that are ignoring what the book of Revelation says. Many of them are preterists. Preterist is from a Latin word that means past. And they treat the book of Revelation, or at least most of it, some of them, all of it, as though something that's already happened in 70 A.D., Oh, well, Nero was the Antichrist. And that was already fulfilled. Now we're just going to have Christ's kingdom on the earth and everybody's going to just say, yes, we want you Christians to rule over us. Isn't this going to be beautiful? Does it look like that, by the way? Does it look like the true church, true Christians are, are being invited in to rule? 
true God-fearing believers in, in, in earnest, following the true scripture? No. Oh, you have a lot of compromised people ruling where they accept homosexuality, you know, they accept all kinds of things. But I'm telling you right now, right now you have a false or counterfeit kingdom being built. And this is called post-millennialism. Preterism. It's already happened. They say the beast prophecies and all that revelation, many of them will say they're called full preterists. They'll say even the resurrection already took place. Paul said those who teach the resurrection has come to pass are teaching a false doctrine and they're overthrowing the faith of people. Because you have no hope then. And, and that's in 2 Timothy 2. By the way, when they're saying to you, or they're saying that the church is going to build the kingdom of God on earth and this is going to take place, it's important that you and I understand. You need to, you need to know exactly what the scriptures say. They, are you taking my word for it? Are you reading it from the page of scripture? Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 20. You see it, right? The Bible, we believe in premillennialism. Now this is critical because when you teach preterism, it's already been fulfilled. You know how dangerous that is? You know what? God doesn't want us to add or take away from just one verse of the book of Revelation. Amen? When you come up with a theology or an eschatology, an eschatological construct that destroys the entire book, think what that does to God's heart. Because God's given us his word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen? And you haven't just got rid of one verse that you changed. I mean, I have several books. I have hundreds of dollars worth of books written by Mormons because I researched it when I was a brand new Christian in like 1981, you know? And it's interesting. Uh, I, I, some of the books I read and I looked at were so astonishing because I had Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible. I had one book called This King, This Nation Will Endure. It had the founding fathers on the front of the book and it talked about how the kings of this world will go out to the, uh, the, the, the world and they'll bring in the kingdom of God. I said, no, it says in Revelation, these demons will go forth to the kings of the world and bring forth the kingdom of Antichrist, Revelation 16. What are you talking about? And it was written by Ezra Taft Benson or it was written by, I'm sorry, uh, the Secretary of Agriculture at that time. And I had Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible. In the book of Revelation... He adds and takes away from the book of Revelation. But he doesn't even, he does a horrible, wicked job. It's demonic, but guess what? It's even worse when you have the post-mill guys, our Calvinists, some of these Calvinists, a lot of these post-mill preterists are usually typically Calvinists, off, often Calvinists. They'll say, oh yeah, the whole book of Revelation, not valid today. Woo, man, that's serious stuff. It's not even for us. Now, Mormons have the, right, the wrong Jesus, but guess what? At least some of them will still read the book of Revelation. Hopefully, they'll come to the right Jesus. These guys will just totally wipe out the book of Revelation. It doesn't exist for us today. It's over. No more. Gone. What? Serious stuff. Oh, what was fulfilled in 70 AD? Really? Do you know when the book of Revelation was written? Do you know the best evidence we have for it being written is in the 90s under the reign of Domitian, who was having people exiled to, guess where? Patmos. We have Irenaeus, who sat under Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of guess who? Guess who? John, the apostle. John wrote the book of Revelation, and Polycarp, who sits under him, knows him. And guess who sits under Polycarp? Irenaeus, one of the top church fathers, one, one of my favorites by far. And he talks about how Polycarp had shared with him that John was exiled under the reign of Domitian in the 90s. He was the youngest disciple. Okay. If you write the book of Revelation about the future in the 90s, it couldn't have been fulfilled when? 
in 70 AD, 20 some years earlier. You get it? In fact, by the way, just read Revelation. And you'll see that, that none of that stuff was fulfilled in uh, 70 AD. You know, all the nations, kindreds and tongues worship the beast and take the mark of the beast. In fact, Irenaeus said the Roman Empire cannot represent the beast empire. Even in, the, and he was writing in the second century, guys. You know why he said that? He said because it talks about ten nations giving their power to the beast. And right now there's a, there, there's a conglomerate, there's an, an empire that has to be dissolved for that to be, be able to take place in the future. So these early church fathers, over and over again, the, the, the sound church fathers talked, they were premillennial. Okay, they're post-trib premillennial. They said, hey, we're, we're, Christ is coming back. We're looking forward to his coming. Uh, the Antichrist will put the church to flight, but we need to just persevere in our faith. And guess what? He's going to set up his kingdom. And they had all kinds of wonderful things to say about the thousand-year reign of Christ. By the way, Leanne, it's great to see you back there. Just saw you. Visiting us from Texas. We have uh, so many blessed believers that come and visit. Not only that we've never met before, but Leanne, she's a big part of our fellowship for years. And it's great to see you, sister. And I know you love prophecy, so we're right up your alley today. It's great. She's grinning from ear to ear. Praise God. Lord is good. So it's important that we understand the bigger picture because we could easily be deceived. Now, Calvinistic postmillennialism teaches the kingdom is coming now, but they're not the only movement doing that. An incredibly robust movement that strange bedfellows guys with the Calvinists and it's not all Calvinists praise God there's 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 God-fearing Calvinists that 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 love Jesus that reject post-millennialism and so forth and there's people caught up in post-millennialism they just inherit it and I, and I believe deep down they love God but they just inherit their eschatology they need to study it and realize it's wrong you know but I'll tell you what uh, there's also the folks I've mentioned a few times here and there the new apostolic reformation these are charismatic post-millennialists, post the Bethel people in Reading, the, 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 you know, the, a lot of the word faith, prosperity, health, and wealth teachers that you see are involved in the new apostolic reformation where they believe that we're supposed to take over the seven mountains of influence and spheres of dominion in this world. It, it, we're supposed to take over business. Arts and Christians are supposed to rise at the top of these mountains and dislodge the principalities and powers in the evil world that are ruling these things and Christians take these things over business arts and entertainment religion really christians take over religion in the world uh family okay uh media okay entertainment government and military as one that we're supposed to rise to the top dislodge these and, and and have the church take over and the kingdom of god will rule on earth and then christ can come back many of them teach is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what we just read in the book of Revelation? No, that's a counterfeit kingdom. And a lot of these folks are the same folks who are saying, making false prophecies and saying, well, that means I'm a prophet of God because I have false prophecies too. Talk about the leaders. Look at our Bethel series. We have Bill Johnson, leader of Bethel, and others talking about how you need to make false prophecies if you're a true prophet of God. And these guys are pushing the so-called seven mountain mandate. And they're talking about how that Bill Johnson has a book with Walnow, one of the leading writers on this movement, called Invading Babylon, the Seven Mountain Mandate. And Invading Babylon? Hmm. My Bible tells me to flee Babylon in Revelation 18.4, lest you partake of her sins and her plagues. Invading Babylon? Huh. That's a little different. Yeah, it is. Because some of these guys teach, like Elno, one of the top writers. It's all kinds of false statements that he's made as well. That, oh yeah, we're going to dislodge 
Because the seven mountains, guess what? He says, yeah, there are the seven mountains mentioned that Babylon sits on. And we're going to dislodge the, the woman, the harlot, from those seven mountains and take it over. Really? Woo! That's chilling. You know why? Because guess who in Revelation 17 dislodges the woman from the seven mountains? The beast does. And his empire. And he burns her with fire and rolls. They're identifying with many of them the beast empire in the end days. And guess what? The church is being set up right now for a false Christ, for the Antichrist. Can you see it? I'm not making this stuff up. This truth is stranger than fiction. They're literally saying, one of the top writers, Johnny Elno, okay? He's connected to the leaders in this movement. He's, his book is endorsed. The Seven Mountain Prophecies, his book, is endorsed by leaders in this movement. And he's saying that the church is going to sit on the seven mountains and rule it and take it from the harlot. And church, you think you're ruling the seven mountains? Guess what? You're not the church. You're the harlot or the beast <laughs> or both. You work with either or. Am I going too fast? Are you guys with me? You guys with me? If you're not with me, get the tape, okay? Or listen to the digital. You can't really get the tape. Well, you can in a way, I guess, these days. Scary stuff. So it's interesting. And you got all kinds of people that are part of the seventh mountain mandate. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm not a kingdom dominionist. Oh, that's like saying, hey, I'm not a liberal, but you're pro-abortion, okay? You're pushing a major tenet of the movement. And the whole idea of seven mountains is get your eyes off the gospel and reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ and the great commission, amen? That's the commission we're given. We're not given a mandate to take over the earth. We're going to mandate to witness as ambassadors here to bring people to Christ so that when he comes back, they can be saved from the world that will be destroyed, amen? amen. Jesus is the savior of the world. He comes back in Revelation eleven fifteen, the last trumpet says we'll change in the twinkling of an eye in 1 Corinthians 15. But in Revelation 17, at the seventh trumpet, it says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of his Christ and he will reign and his wrath comes. It's time to reward his servants because he said my reward is with me when he comes, Revelation 22. Time to reward his servants, the small and the great. Amen. Those that fear his name. And guess what? He establishes kingdom and it says he who was and is. It doesn't say who was and is and is to come there because guess why he did come. That's a picture of his coming, the seventh trumpet. Now it's amazing because Jesus said if my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight. Amen? We don't take up arms. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. The rules of the darkness of this world, spiritual weakness, high places. And because we have a spiritual war, and Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world, if it was, then the, my servants would fight. But he says, I chose you out of this world. And if the world hated you, they'll hate they hated me. They're going to hate you too, John 15, amen? Therefore, the weapons that we use are not physical. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God are the pulling down strongholds and cast down every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity of Christ. So our weapons are spiritual. Amen? Now, I'm having a little bit of struggle. You know why? Because before, I had the shortest message ever, two pages. I never have two pages. And when I was over there, I was praying on the way here. And I added some things to my message right here. And I just got through what I added over there. <laughs> and I haven't started my scriptures yet that I were intended for today. Because I want to look at what the Bible teaches with regard to apostasy or worldwide revival. Does the Bible teach there's going to be this worldwide revival where everyone's going to come to Christ? 
or is the teacher going to be a falling away? One of Satan's deception is to call the falling away the revival. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen, I've played some of these commercials, you know. By the way, the world is getting really dark right now. But I played some of these commercials with Benjamin Krem. He took out full-page ads, LA Times, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, you know, all over the place about how the Christ is here some years back and how the world's going to be joined together in a world government and the Christ is here and he's the Christ to the Christians. He's the Messiah to the Jews. He's the Krishna to the Hindus. He's the, 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 uh, the Imam to the Mahdi's, or the, the Mahdi to the Muslims and on and on, you know. And he's a Christ for everyone. And you know what? He was being interviewed on a radio program. I heard a snippet of that on Coast to Coast. And they said, you know, a lot of people are concerned about what you're saying because you're saying Christ is here and he's going to reign and everybody should be get ready for him. But a lot of people are saying, that are calling in are saying that you got the wrong guy. You're picking the Antichrist as Christ. Antichrist comes first to reign. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, yeah, the Christians have it backwards, you know. And what this is, guys, is a new age satanic lie, but it's got its way into the church. It's God's way into the church. Go to Matthew chapter 24 and let's see if Jesus, and thank God I only have two pages typed out, guys, so we should get done still. Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 3, and as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And he had just talked about how not one stone on the temple would be standing on the other. And if you look at Mark 13 and Luke 21, you get the context here. And they're looking at the votive gifts that were being given to the, at the temple. And how they're talking to Jesus how beautiful the temple is. And Jesus let them know, hey, you know, not one stone is to be standing on another. So they ask him, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And it's important to understand, it's what I was trying to emphasize earlier, the first thing that Jesus says, does he said, hey, just listen to the new apostolic reformation prophets and my kingdom's coming. It's going to just be beautiful. Is that what he says? No. He says, see to it that no one what? See to it that no one misleads you. First thing he warns about is deception. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Wow. It's interesting. Many come saying they are the Christ. Many also come saying he is the Christ. Oh, they believe in Jesus. They call him Lord, Lord. They do all these signs and wonders, supposedly. But they don't know him, it says. Verse 6. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See, you've heard of any wars and rumors of wars? It's like a normal thing now. I remember when I was a kid, it wasn't a normal thing. Now it's like, it seems like we're always at war. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation. That's ethnic group, ethnos against ethnos. And we're seeing that right now. Because you have a lot of people that don't know Jesus who are filled with hate toward other races on all sides of the aisle. And kingdom against kingdom. And that's world wars, man. By the way, did you know post-millennialism was becoming very, very popular? In the early part of the 20th century and then there were two world wars kingdoms against kingdoms that took place and guess what everybody's like oh i guess the world isn't getting better some people were talking about bringing an end to infectious diseases because of the growth of science has that happened no you know uh there'll be there'll be famines and earthquakes but all these things are merely beginning of birth pains. Then they deliver you to tribulation. Wait 
a minute. Let's say kingdom, dominion, new apostolic reformation, everything's going to be peachy. You're going to take over the seven mountains of, of the world and sit on Babylon or whatever you want to call it and rule the earth. Is that what he says? And then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. It's not talking about a seven mountain mandate, okay? And by the way, there are all kinds of people that are associated with the seven mountain mandate, okay? People I pray for, uh, Mr. McCoy, pastors of the church over there, pushes the seven mountain mandate, okay? Hanging out with people that are involved in the NAR movement, okay? Wrong, wrong. And they can say, well, I'm not a dominionist all you want, but if you're pushing a movement, the seven mountain mandate, and pushing the idea that these guys have been pushing for years and hanging out with them to one degree or another and claiming that this is the move of God, whoo! That's scary, man. So I pray, Father, in your son's name, please deliver people from this. Amen? Now, they'll deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Verse 10. Does at that time many will, does it say, have a great revival and bring the kingdom in? Is that what it says? Does it say there'll be this great worldwide revival and everybody will love Jesus and, and the, they'll invite Christians to rule over the seven mountains? Is that what it says? No, at that time, many will what? Fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness has increased. Is there an increase of lawlessness today? Absolutely. Why people want to defund the police when things are getting worse? Most people's love will grow cold. That's what we see happening today. But the one who endures the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. That's what we're all about as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Wow, guys. And he talks, goes on to talk about false Christ and false prophets again. He talks about it won't be until immediately after the tribulation that Jesus, the Son of Man, will be seen coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and that he'll gather his elect from the four winds of heaven and so forth. And the tribes of the earth will mourn. Not because there was a worldwide revival, but because they've rejected Christ and they rejected his followers and the Antichrist will be ruling the world and they'll mourn because judgment has come. Heavy stuff. Heavy. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul doesn't predict revival. He talks about how there will be a departure from the faith and people give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Okay? In fact, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's see what the Apostle Paul said about the end times. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And when you get there, yeah, just go to verse 1. 2 Timothy 3.1. I usually quote this, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like worldwide revival? No. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Wow. In fact, look what he says in verse, thank you, Lord. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Be persecuted. We're not going to be celebrated and made the head on earth ruling the world before Christ comes back. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Will be persecuted. 
Well, what about the evil men, though? Well, look at verse 13. Jesus, Paul says, but evil men and imposters, imposters, will proceed from what? Bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Many of these people, in their minds, they think they're right. They're deceived in thinking that they're ushering the kingdom on earth. It's a huge deception. It's a huge deception. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He, Paul writes to Timothy, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to the salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Stay in the word of God. Amen. Hide it in your heart. Meditate upon it day and night. Verse 1 of chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and of Christ Jesus who is to, ju uh, to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Amen. Then what does he say? For the time will come. I think we're already here to a degree. For time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. Brothers and sisters, man, right now it sounds so good to be taught that God wants you to follow the prosperity gospel. He wants you healthy and wealthy and to never get sick and, you know, and maybe not even die and just be resurrected as you walk. Some of them are teaching the manifestation of the sons of God where there will be pre-resurrection. It sounds so good to hear that you're a little God. And just as God made the universe, you can speak things into existence. It sounds so good to hear that, oh, Christians don't have to suffer. We're going to take the reins of the seven mountains, including government and the military, and rule the earth. That sounds so good to people. It tickles their ears. No wonder it's so popular. Stick to Jesus, amen? Remember last week I talked about how Satan offered Jesus a shortcut. Bow down to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world, amen? But he took scripture out of context. This was last Wednesday. If you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to hear it. But he also wants to get us to take a shortcut to the kingdom. That you can rule right now. You don't have to go through persecutions and suffering that Paul talks about. It's the same lie. It's the same lie. And it's intoxicating. Jesus warned about the leaven of the Pharisees. He warned about the leaven of the Sadducees. He also warned about the leaven of Herod. And that's a political leaven where you compromise your faith by becoming political. And we have many people becoming, many Christian leaders, quote unquote, becoming way more political than they are spiritual. And all of a sudden they're putting, guess what? They're having to compromise their doctrines. I've seen Charlie Kirk, who claims to be a Christian, on stage with a homosexual guy at a church, preaching, speaking together, and the homosexual is there next to him, talking to each other, encouraging the crowd, and the homosexual says, the church needs to accept homosexuality. Okay? Right next to Charlie Kirk. I'm sorry, that's compromise. I'm sorry, that's wicked. I'm sorry, that's what happens when you want to get power and you want to grow in numbers to have political movement because oftentimes you could be a Daniel. You could be a Joseph. But if you're going to be a Daniel and you're going to be a Joseph, you need to make sure you don't compromise. Amen? You don't bow down and worship the beast. You don't bow down and worship the beast's kingdom. You don't, you don't say, hey, okay, yeah, we'll accept homosexuality because we'll have a bigger tent and we can get our people elected. I'm telling you that right now. It's serious stuff. I also saw Charlie Kirk with Bob McCoy at Jack Hibbs Church, a video of it, the three of them talking, and Hib, uh, McCoy saying, hey, you know what? Guess what? You know, we talked about, he went through all seven mountains they got to take, you know? And he said, now I'm going to let McCoy preach, you know? And this is at Hibbs Church. And Hibbs is telling people to get on Paula White, 
the worst word faith prosperity heretic out there who heads up Trump's, you know, uh, prayer advisory team, or I should say his spiritual advisors. She's a false prophetess. She teaches the prosperity gospel. And Hibbs telling people to get, sign up for her prayer newsletter. You know, like what in the world is going on here? And these guys, some one of these guys I just mentioned, chasing Chuck Smith because he should have been far more political than he was. And Chuck Smith, do you know Chuck Smith was invited by Ronald Reagan to come to the White House? You know what Chuck Smith said? No. He called up the president and he said, Mr. President, with no disrespect, you know, I'd love to go there, but he goes, you know what's going to happen? People are going to take pictures of me with you. It's going to be in this newspaper and that newspaper. And that's not who I am. Because he was about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. But he's been criticized by some of these same people. And guess what? He was very effective in getting the gospel out because he was preaching the gospel. He stayed focused on the gospel. Am I saying that Christians can't get involved in politics at all? If you get involved in politics, you better make sure you're led of God. You better not be preaching the seven mandate, seven mountain mandate though. Amen. And mixing these lies with truth. Amen. Now, uh, so he tells Timothy, but you be sober. In other words, the man of God is to be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So guess what? I'm going to get hardship for preaching messages like this. That's part of the deal. I'm going to get criticized. Oh, it's a great political movement that's going on right now. Woo, you think so? Are we just going to disengage from, and be untethered from what Jesus teaches about the times, what apostles teach? And just be in some fantasy land that God's going to make this a Christian world? Or that the secular world is just going to accept Christian rule over them? Because Jesus said, enter the straight gate, right? Enter the narrow gate, right? Broad and spacious way leads to destruction. Many go that way. But straight, but narrow is the gate. And straight is the way leads to life. And fewer are those who find it. Only a few people come compared to the great majority. Amen? Do you understand that, right? So the whole world's not going to be converted to Christ. Jesus said it was a narrow gate. And few, he said, enter. Amen? And then he said another place, strive, agonizomai. It's where we get agonized from, to enter the narrow gate. Because there will be a time when the door is shut. And he said, few will enter. It's a serious stuff. But you cannot teach universalism. Or you cannot have the idea that everybody's going to come into the kingdom. And I'm sorry, Mr. McCoy also had Cummings who co-wrote and, and produced the book or the movie, the, uh, the Shack. We have a whole expose, like a three-hour expose on The Shack, how it teaches that movie, teaches universalism. The guy's a false teacher that wrote the book. Young. In fact, in the movie, his dad beats him. And he beats his wife. He dies a drunk, rejecting Christ. And guess what? You see him in God's kingdom embracing him later because the author of the shack teaches ultimately everybody will be saved. And he's been, that guy coming, he's taught on that, uh, taught on the shack as well there. And he also did one, a seven-part series on the seven mountain date was taught by McCoy and others. And he taught one of the seven, the one on entertainment, Cummings, who wrote the part of the movie for the shack. And you know what? If I'm going to be a shepherd that warns you, I see what's going on. Okay, I've had my heart in the scripture, my love for Jesus. And when I see what's going on, I, I cannot just say, oh, I see what's going on, but I'm not going to say anything. I would not be a good shepherd. I would not be an under rower of the ultimate good shepherd. He's the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So we need to know, and I'm not saying people, everybody that's involved in this is purposely trying to deceive people. I'm not saying that. I do believe there's a lot of people that are well-intended, okay? And, but I do believe you got to watch out for the leaven of Herod. And Herod mixed politics with faith and there was a lot of compromise to get what he wanted and Jesus wants us to be aware that we have to watch out for that kind of leaven in the church amen in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 let's go there 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a couple books to your left, we read something quite, quite interesting. Now, it's interesting. I wish I had time to go through 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. But in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, it talks about the rapture. Uh, uh, in chapter 4 and 5, it says, While the world's saying peace and safety... Verse 3, while they're saying peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, not in darkness, that that day would overtake you like a thief, right? For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So it's important. Then he goes on to say, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. Those who uh, get drunk, get drunk at night. Okay? Brothers and sisters, that doesn't sound, this is all talking about how the world is going to be just dark and evil. And when Christ comes back, they'll be saying peace and safety and sudden destruction will come upon them. Jesus isn't coming back to the kingdom. Pat Robertson, who's the rules CBN, Christian Broadcast Network, for all these years. Pat Robertson says, hey, think of this. Can you imagine? There's no more crime on the streets. Everything's beautiful. And he describes what looks like the kingdom of God, right? And he says, you think I'm talking about millennium. I'm talking about what we can make the world before Christ comes back. And at CBN, will film Christ's second coming, coming back to the kingdom of God already on earth. This is false teaching, guys. It's a counterfeit kingdom. And Jesus warned that the false prophets in Luke 21 will be saying, will be saying the time draws near. They'll be saying, here, the kingdom's coming right now, or it's already here. And it's a over-realized eschatology. You're, you're putting the cart before the horse. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul makes it really clear. Go to verse chapter 2, please, in a Verse 1, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as from us, the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless what comes first? The apostasy. The Lord is not coming until what comes first? The what? Apostasia. Okay? If you have the King James, it says fallen away. That's what the Greek word means in this context, apostasia. It's only used one other time, this word in the New Testament. It's used in the book of Acts where Paul's being accused of leading the Jews away from Moses into apostasia. So he says the apostasy will come first and what will happen? The man of lawlessness who is revealed, uh, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who poses and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. So the Antichrist will sit in the, so there'll be two things. What will happen? There'll be a falling away in apostasy, apostasy, and the Antichrist will sit in the temple before Christ returns. That's exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew 24. What's the sign of your coming at the end of the age? He said many will fall away, right? The abomination of desolation will be in the, in the holy place, verse 15. And then he comes back. So the Bible, Jesus said there'll be a falling away. Paul said there'll be a falling away in conjunction with the Antichrist. These guys will say, no Antichrist, no falling away. We're going to build the kingdom here. Revelation chapter, or 2 Thessalonians 2, verse, look at 8. Then the lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist. Whom the Lord will what? Slay with the breath of his mouth. Remember the sword of his mouth? The breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Praise God. Amen. So when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to a church that's ruling the earth. He's coming back to a, a church, a, a world that's being ruled by the Antichrist. And many people that are duped into thinking that it's God's kingdom. Saying, who can make war with him is what they'll say. Who can make war with him? I know who can make war with him. Easy. The Lord Jesus Christ can make war with him and defeat him easily with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. Amen. Now, Revelation chapter 9, it makes it very clear in the end times 
that the world's getting worse and they're not going to repent. Verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by these plagues, by fire and smoke and brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. I don't have time to get in the full context here, but I want to bring your attention to verse 20. Then the rest of mankind, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and to hold an, and, and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders nor of their sorcerers nor of their immorality nor of their thefts. They didn't repent of these things. Revelation chapter 16 that was in the midst of Revelation 9 in the midst of trumpet judgments. Now you go to the bowl judgments in Revelation 16 and when these things are falling, we read the same thing. Read the same thing. You have all these bowls being poured out, okay? And you have the same thing happening. Verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and of his kingdom it became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not what? They did not repent of their deeds. Don't let anybody teach you, teach you that the world just can all repent and turn to Jesus. It's not what it teaches in the Bible. Amen? You have the worship of demons happening more now than ever before in history. I mean, we had, before the last election, we showed Hillary Clinton, Okay? a videotape of her husband talking about how she wants to give you a message from Eleanor Roosevelt because he just spoke to her again. Eleanor Roosevelt, by the way, has been dead for decades and decades, guys. And she said, Hillary wants you to know that Eleanor said, you know, she, she's, because they were meeting at Eleanor or Roosevelt Park. And he was serious. He didn't crack a smile. He just said it. And people in the audience were kind of freaking out. She wants to know that Eleanor says everything's great. Da, 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 da. Whoa, man, what's going on there? Has spirit guides. Okay. You have Biden. I mean, you have the left, the far left, you know. Come on, guys. I have a really hard time believing that you could vote for somebody who celebrates the right to kill little babies. 60 million plus babies killed in our nation. That dwarfs the 6 million by 10 times Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. As wicked as the Holocaust was, it's even worse. And many of them are championing murdering babies up to what? The ninth month up until pregnancy that's what biden is apparently standing for right now this is wicked and horrific and the blood of, of, of these babies cries out against the wicked and the dnc in their convention at least two times took god out of the pledge of allegiance okay many of them are anti the state of israel which is absolutely unbiblical okay uh the dissolution of traditional marriage which both parties actually seem to be kind of done with now for the most part which is really sad when you think about it uh you had we warned <laughs> before uh, we warned that abramovich hillary's remember we have a whole video called spirit cooking where we show abramovich we show videotape of her we show a, 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 a email from abramovich to podesta right the two brothers one was to not the not the campaign guy that was running her campaign with john podesta we have two tony and john one of them's being invited to her spirit cooking dinner. And he says, invite your brother too. She doesn't explain what spirit cooking is. It's as though he knows. And we know what spirit cooking is because we have like a 20-some minute video where Abramovich is demonstrating it years earlier and it's on YouTube. 
they, urine and, you know, all kinds of things I can't even mention, which comes from a lesser Crowley Satanism and is how you make the ingredients that you use to make many of those communion wafers called cakes of light, spirit cooking. And they're fake, they're, they're blasphemous communion wafers for Satanists. Crowley calls for the blood of children. And then you take these every day as a Satanist. Abramovich doesn't put blood up there of children. She puts an effigy of a little baby, a boy, a little kid, where girl, I don't know, and she throws blood on it, it looks like, and she says, oh, it was pig's blood. This is demonic. In the higher echelons, there is a spiritual war, but you have to keep in mind. You have to keep in mind. When you're looking at this spiritual war going on, you need to make sure that you don't say, I'm this, I'm that. You need to make sure you say, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian, amen, that's who I am. And I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am not uh, sold to any political movement. I'm, Jesus is first. And I'll look at everything through the lenses of Scripture, amen. I mean, for me, personally, between you and God. But to me, I, I can't see how, honestly, for me personally, I could never vote for any kind of party that is okay and even fights for killing innocent babies. How could I do that as a Christian? I couldn't. It's diabolical to its core. And there's more going on than we think. In fact, it's interesting. They worship, worship demons. These guys are in touch with the demonic realm. But also, a lot of people associated with NAR are hearing from demon spirits too, guys. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. You've got to be careful here. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Are you for Black Lives Matter? I absolutely believe in that Black Lives Matter. I also believe in Planned Parenthood. I believe parenthood should be planned. You should get married, then have babies. But I don't agree with the movement Planned Parenthood. I believe 100%. I've preached a lot of messages against racism. Amen? You've heard me do it through the years. I believe Black Lives Matter. But the slogan or the movement, which, which clearly stands, and they say they're pro-Marxist. They say they're uh, for uh, ending the family, the nuclear family, husband and wife. They're, 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 they're the whole pro-gay marriage thing. They're into all this stuff, guys. Uh, they're for defunding the police. I'm for justice. If, if, there's, if, if, there's, if, if, if a police officer racially abuses someone, that guy should be not just lose his job, he should be thrown in prison, I believe, okay? Or executed if he murders somebody that's innocent because they're race. No matter what race they are. But I'm not for defunding the police all over the place. When lawlessness is increasing, that's going to fulfill biblical prophecy and make things even worse. Throw gas on the fire. So there's a lot of things we need to be concerned about. By the way, the leaders of Black Lives Matter, some of the leaders, for instance, the co-founder of BLM, okay, uh, Patrice Cullors, and along with a BLM Los Angeles co-founder of the movement, okay, uh, Melina Abdullah. They talk about, recently there's an interview, and they talk about how they pray to spirits, and they talk to spirits, and these spirits are empowering them and using them as leaders of BLM, okay? And they say, well, they're ancestral spirits. The Bible is very clear that when we die, we go to be with the Lord if we're Christians, amen? Or we go to the other place if we reject the Lord. And millions and millions and millions of, of black Christians will agree 100% with me. And they'll also agree, millions and millions and millions of black Christians and Christians of every stripe will say it's wrong to try to contact spirits. The Bible says in chapter 8 of Isaiah that we should be seeking our God. Why do you seek the living among the, why do you seek the dead, he says. You should be seeking your li the living God. 
Amen? Not mediums that peep and mutter. Isaiah 8, 19 and 20. And the Bible warns about that because Satan comes as an angel of light. Demons masquerade as familiar spirits. And they say there's these spirits that are helping them in this movement. I bet you they are. It's just not the spirits you think. In fact, guess what? If you, make con if you, make, if you want to know what a, a spirit that passed on would say to you, well, we see the rich man dies. And what does he want his brothers to know? But he can't go back. He's not allowed to go back. They can't come back. It's demons here, guys, and good angels. He's saying, tell, you know, send, send Lazarus to tell them to repent. They tell them to, be, to repent of Marxism, to repent of promoting homosexuality, to repent of, of uh, defunding or encouraging lawlessness even more. Repent of trying to destroy the family, okay? So as I've mentioned in this movie today, it sounds like what I'm saying is to just really focus on Jesus and what he says, amen, and be careful of all the political movements. I'm not saying one's not better than the other. It's pretty clear, you know, when you're talking about killing 60 million babies. But yeah, what we need to do, the Bible says, cursed is the one who puts his trust in man. And Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, Luke 18, 1 through 11, will he, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? Thankfully, in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 14, when Jesus comes back, or we, I'm sorry, we see there, there's a great multitude that no man can number from every people, nation, and tongue, amen, who have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus at the end of the tribulation period. Not because it was a great revival, but because the bride has been made ready through the tribulation period. And I'm sure some people will be saved, but it's not going to be everybody. That's why we need to hold fast to the truth and not be swayed and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The essence of this message is keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and keep your eyes fixed on his word and don't deviate to the left or the right. And when things look really cool politically, be careful because a lot of times there's a lot more to the picture than meets the eye. Stick to Jesus and his word and filter everything through what he says. Amen. Praise God. Could everybody please stand?